So it's been four months that Amazon cut their commission rates. And last week I was doing a lot of market research and looked at a lot of affiliate sites and I noticed something interesting. Barely anyone switched away from Amazon in terms of affiliate offers. And that comes after rioting levels of rage from affiliate marketers on Facebook groups and Reddit and forums and anything you can think of. Fuck Bezos, they said, and yet they're still sending their traffic to him. And in my opinion, the reason why this is happening is that people have no clue how to run other affiliate programs than Amazon. Or maybe they realize it's a little bit harder than it looked at first. So in today's episode, we're going to be sharing a realistic transition plan that you can copy and paste on your websites to try to at least send a little bit less traffic to Amazon diversify your business and hopefully grow your revenue back. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atari Hacker Podcast. As I said in the pre-intro, I am quite amazed at the amount of people that haven't even attempted to get out of Amazon yet. Despite the fact that people were really pissed off at the time, it was really fun to... It's like, you know, I had to do some market research. So I looked at hundreds of sites, to be honest. And yeah, most of them haven't even attempted to get out, which was quite surprising given how pissed off people were at the time when they changed the commission. I don't know if you remember. By the way, how's it going, Mark? Uh, uh, it's going great, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, I had to put it somewhere. People comment otherwise, you know, they're like, uh, oh, you forgot to ask, etc." Now there's actually a chapter on YouTube that's how is it going, Mark, in every episode. So for people who want to, you know, make, uh, you know, best offs of best, how's it going, Mark, if people want to remix the podcast or something, they can do that very easily, uh, which uh, nobody's going to do, but let's see. I'm all also, FYI, very surprised at how few people have taken action on moving off or attempting to add other affiliate programs in, into the mix. There's, I, I really haven't seen any sites that, that I sort of look at or monitor which have added other affiliate programs. I mean, there's the people that were doing it already that tended to do it more. So like that's something I've noticed. But the people that weren't doing it in the first place, like the computers I was monitoring or like the new niches, except like, you know, you check in archive.org or something, like all the version. I mean, again, I haven't looked at every affiliate site, so someone's going to come in the comments and be like, oh, like this is that one site that did it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely some, some out there, but in general, so, most people yeah. haven't been doing this. I think there's two reasons for that. I think the first one, and something that we said when this happened is it's annoying, but it's not business breaking. You know, it's kind of like this like good is the enemy of great type thing, you know, where it's like yeah. it's still not uncomfortable enough in many niches. Like, you know, the, the niches that went down to like 3%, you know, maybe they were like 4 5%, they went down to 3%. A lot of consumer niches are in that range, right? Like the pets, the gardening, the all of that, et cetera, like all these broad consumer niches are down to that level. It's at the point where there's definitely less profit coming in, but it's not broken the business to the point that they have to reinvent themselves and get into that zone where it's like, well, I have to figure something out or I'm fucked. And I think, yeah, I think when, that has made a lot of people... When lazy. your back's against the wall like that and you need to fix something to save your business, then entrepreneurs yep. generally, they, they come out swinging there and they can solve these problems. But as you said, it's it's kind of... Yeah, it's. I'll just maybe continue it's building more content I mean, and links, yeah, and, and exactly. hopefully that will make up for any difference that that I'm I'm down. 
I think that's uh, the reasoning of a lot of people as well. It's like, well, I could spend a lot of time figuring out a new way to monetize, or I could spend that same time creating more content and links, grow my traffic, and hopefully just make up for that. And I, I, I'm wondering if it was calculated on the side of Amazon, actually, if they actually tried to, because they see what everyone's earning, etc. like it's pretty easy. You know, if they had some, like they would just need to hire a couple, like, you know, a dozen affiliates that do that, or like talk to them with the reps or something, and then figure out, what's still an acceptable level given the price of content, etc. Like if you hold on. This- A- Amazon using your own data against you? Surely not, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. History has proven that they would never definitely never do that. So I think I'm speculating here. But <laughs> That's a joke, but uh, yeah, I, I would. It, it's quite interesting what happened, and uh, and I think especially all the categories that drop around three percent, which are the majority, I would say, of like the moment pop affiliate sites. It's the big niches, it's like pets, etc. I think it's quite well calibrated to put people exactly in that zone where it's like annoying but not too annoying that they actually stop sending traffic. I think the few people that tried also realized that it's much harder to replace Amazon than it sounds like initially. And so we're going to talk about how we do that on some of our sites, how we've done it, how we've felt sometimes doing it as well, and how we still use Amazon. And it, we don't think Amazon is completely dead. It's just something that you probably want to diversify from. I think it's more of a future-proofing thing at this point, especially if you're in this 3% bracket. I think it's also like a bit of a mindset thing. People think, oh, I need to replace Amazon with one program that has everything. Well, yeah, there, it doesn't there's exist. not really another program <laughs> comparable. So you have no. to find multiple programs for specific categories or products. And then it just gets a bit more time consuming. And, and that's where the difficulty comes in. And There is uh, some issues. There's some issues that have like pretty big e-commerce stores that are pretty good, etc. But there's some issues where there's just no equivalent. I'll give you a niche that I found has literally no alternative to Amazon that is viable for most, in most cases. In most cases, like you can find edge cases, gardening. Uh, in gardening, I couldn't find anything pretty, like I couldn't find anything better as, you know, for most of your keywords and random posts, etc. Like I could not. I spent about two hours on this and I ended up with like weird affiliate programs for like cactus and random stuff like that. But like, that's not going to cover most of your stuff. And um, there is some e-com stores, but they're tiny. They won't convert as well. They don't even pay that much. Like they pay you like four or 5%, but like 5% random e-com store versus 3% Amazon. I'll take the 3% Amazon, you know, and usually you make more money. So there's some niches where you kind of like you're back against the wall. And if Amazon's cutting it off, uh, it's a problem. Gardening is not as bad because advertising is amazing and traffic is really good, for example. So it's like, you know, you can do quite well with ads and we'll talk about ads uh, towards the end of this podcast. But um, yeah, I think that's why people struggle. Basically, one, it was not uncomfortable enough so that they have to do it. And they decided to instead focus on content and uh, links that they know better than monetization. Because usually when people start with Amazon and only do Amazon, they don't have that much experience with other programs. And two, essentially, the people that tried struggled a lot more than they expected and uh, maybe reverse back and uh, and they're still pushing and essentially came to the same conclusion. <laughs> Let's do more traffic and links, you know. So what I want to talk now about is kind of like, I mean, anything else you want to say for the intro? No. Okay. How are you? 
How's it going, Gal? I just came back from the gym. I was pretty bad. It's like for some reason I was progressing at split squats, but like I, I just like completely regressed this uh, week. So that's a problem, you know. Split squats—they're um, a bastard, honestly. I mean, I'm doing it on like in unstable surfaces as well, so it's like it's quite horrible actually. But that's it. That's how I'm doing. So a bit frustrated right now. I'm, I'm gonna try to do a better podcast than split squats. Great. Um, Thanks for that update. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Well, you wanted to know, you know. So here we go. See, that's how you should answer, by the way. Okay, let's just jump onto the. Plan now. So I'm going to share a plan and something that we've done recently on one of our sites to try to diversify from Amazon. And some parts succeeded, some parts failed, but it's a plan that actually is realistic. Instead of like going and changing all your links and just completely trashing your revenue, which is what most people wanted to do when Amazon announced the changes. Uh, that's not how you do it at all, actually. So first of all, the first thing to do is obviously to do some market research and find some SFA programs that you can at least replace some of your links like from Amazon to them. So there's essentially a few ways that we do that. My favorite these days is kind of the same as keyword research is looking at competitors. So we maintain a list of a large list of competitors in most niches that we are operating in. So we have a spreadsheet on Google Drive and we add every new site that we find in this niche in there. But there's a report in Ahrefs that shows you the domains they link to the most, right? And I use this to find which of favorite programs they're using. What I really like about that is like, I'm not just looking at individual pages, I'm looking at the total amount of links that they have from their site to that one. Very often what you'll see is you'll see the tracking domains of FLA programs. So you see the short domain of ShareASale, for example, or even the short domain of Amazon, for example, you see these. And so when you click on the little arrow on Ahrefs, you're able to actually expand it. It shows you per page exactly where they link to. You can click on the FLA link and actually see where it's going. It works even if the link is cloaked. So if people are using a link shortener or something like this, which is quite common for affiliate programs outside of Amazon, still works because Ahrefs actually crawls through redirects. Uh, so it works really well. And I like doing this because it's essentially, I let people try and fail. And then when they try to grow on another affiliate program, well, obviously they're gonna have more links to that thing. And so I'm able through the number of links that they have to see their level of confidence in that affiliate program. And so that is uh, one of my favorite ways of doing that. Another reason why you should have a competitor list and use Ahrefs for that, for example. One like nuance about this is that is in most cases going to show you the most profitable affiliate program to link to, but it doesn't always mean it's the best product so what happens in a lot of niches is you get people who promoting the product that pays the most. The product that pays the most, not always a good product. Sometimes it can be a little bit scammy. Sometimes it can be, you know, it's a product that doesn't work particularly well or a company that's not particularly reputable. So you have to do your own kind of due diligence on, on it from that perspective Obviously. as well. Also check the sales pages, etc. Also, like the thing with competitor analysis as well is like your competitors are not are not as smart as you think. Like most people assume that you, their competitors know everything, and, then and they're all A/B <laughs> testing everything every day. When in fact, it's like not one, case. one person copies another person who copies another person. No one's tested anything. You know, actually, um, I was checking one of our articles on Atari Hacker, and I found a mistake. I'm not going to tell which one, but uh, what was interesting is then I looked at the people that rank for the keyword and that essentially have copied our article and I found the same mistake in all the articles. And I was like, okay, Gosh. here we go. So that's how, that's how fake news are born, right? It's like, um, so yeah, it was pretty interesting. I fixed it on our site, but the computers probably still have it. But it's quite interesting to see that. And that is a proof that your computers are not that smart and they're not that amazing. And they, they might be worse than you. If you're listening to this podcast, I, I expect they might be worse than you. Okay. 
self-prop done. Now, let's keep going. Uh, another way that I find affiliate programs is uh, really stupid, but just Google it. So just Google my niche for affiliate programs. Usually that works pretty well. You might find us and a lot of people that do a good job actually in these, but like some people do the work for you. So you might as well. These are these are often like roundups or list posts of yeah, yeah, affiliate yeah. pro like we produce a, a list of affiliate programs in a specific niche yeah, and yeah. Uh, you, you find them there. So they're curated lists rather than just you know, finding affiliate programs on the SERP. Yeah. Another thing I like to do is find the biggest like single vertical e-commerce sites. So, you know, I'll find I'll Google like biggest gardening online shops or something. And then like someone's going to have a list as well or something like this. And I just check their footers, right? And so usually they have like affiliates or something like this. And very often these actually don't have the affiliate program advertised in their footer. So you should check that, but not only that, you should Google the brand plus affiliate program. And uh, you might find them again on like ShareASell, a network as well, like a, a lot of these big ones, they use networks. So that might be it. And usually that's like one way I find it. So even maintaining a list of like large e-commerce stores in your niche is not necessarily a bad idea. Just like every time you bump into one, just have a tab in that competitor spreadsheet for e-commerce, just drop them in. And then you can even do outreach campaigns to try to build partnerships with them as well. And or you can work on like things like giveaways, etc. if you want. Uh, these guys will could provide you with products. And the last thing that I like to use, but I'm a little bit iffy about it, it's a lot less good than like the competitor tactic, for example, is a uh, network power ranking. So to some extent, affiliate networks do have some power ranking where they just show you like which offer generated the most sales. Like on ShareSell, they, they have that. On ClickBank, they might have Gravity and like same on CJ, you have a network earnings, I think. So you, there's kind of a way to see like which um, in each vertical, which affiliate offers are generating the most money. But the problem is that um, affiliate networks do are dishonest sometimes they don't they lie to you just because sometimes. they just make more money <laughs> often because essentially they just you know they negotiate a, a deal with each brand and like um maybe with a small retailer they negotiated like twice more money than like with a big retailer and so they're trying to push it through their affiliate traffic that is browsing for offers on their site even though they're not really making that many sales through it just because they would just pocket more money from this they lie to you the same way as like roundup reviews are full of lies as well because people make more money for this kind of stuff. So be a little bit worried about that. Usually if I see nobody promoting this and it's like high on the power rankings, I'm like, you're full of shit, you know? So it's, that's why I try to cross that with the competitor data. So essentially, yeah, use some of these tactics Build a list of affiliate offers as well. That's something you're going to have to maintain. Like you're going to have to start building a lot of these lists and building intelligence for your niche, which you should have done anyway. But now it's even more important when you actually actively work on monetization, not just slapping Amazon links. And then what I do is like most people would go and, and just like take a round of preview and just go and replace all the links and realize they don't convert anything and then lose a bunch of money, say this is shit, go back to Amazon, never try anything again. Now, the best way to figure out if an offer is good and many of them are not good is to send about a thousand clicks to it and look at how much money you're making. Context is important as well, right? So if I just randomly send people and then it's like, I don't tell them where they're going, et cetera. And they land on the site. It's like, uh, what do I do now? Then these thousand clicks are trash. So the reason, for example, random previews work so well is because of the way you, you first of all, catch the people through the intent of the search query. And then you present them with the products. They know where they're clicking. They're going there. They're buying. Kind of makes sense. But one way that I like to do that with is I like to not touch my round of previews. I like, you know, you still collect your checks from Amazon as usual, but I use pop-ups for that. And I use the sales area of these bigger e-commerce stores so that everyone 
is running at least a sales area or something. And many of them are like sales of the week, sales of the sales of the day or something like that. It's kind of like dynamically populated. And yeah, pretty much everyone does that. So with Amazon, you're not allowed to promote with pop-ups. I'm talking pop-ups, like I'm talking, you know, like uh, Optin Monster or Elementor, you can do it or Stripe Lease, that kind of stuff. You're not allowed to push traffic to Amazon with this, but you're absolutely allowed to do that with other affiliate offer. So you're not really cannibalizing your traffic from Amazon. You can put that as like an exit intent pop-up, for example. And the way I do that is I find out when the sales are refreshing on the sales page. So let's say it's daily sales, for example, then I put a countdown on it. I'd be like, oh, the get discounted, whatever item you're selling, like sales and in, and then I have like an evergreen countdown that resists every day and add some scarcity around it. And, you know, if they refresh their sales every day or every week or something, then it actually just matches what they have on the site. And it's just like claim the offer. People click on the button, they land on the sales section of the site and they can browse for products that they, they like. So like, you know, buy gardening items. I say it for gardening because it doesn't work because I couldn't find an equivalent. So I'm not going to give the ones we use. Sorry. Yeah. And so like people land on there and then they, because of the scarcity, etc. also a lot of these shops tend to run retargeting on these sections of their site. So people might be hitting there, not buying, but then being retargeted. And the cookies last longer than 24 hours on these shops. So you get usually 30 days or 60 days or something like this. So it's quite likely these things like retargeting campaign will actually trigger commissions for you. How do you actually decide whether something's working or not? Because when you run an experiment like that with a pop-up or a um, hello bar or something, the conversion rate EPC is high actually usually. you know you're going to be are you going to be comparing that to a standard review or roundup or how do you decide if it's effective or not Initially, my only goal is to beat Amazon's EPC. So I just look at, okay, how many clicks did we send to Amazon? But if you don't have Amazon's EPC on that type of like opt-in, not opt-in. You don't, but it's like the thing is like most affiliate programs are trash. So you just want to see if it's even worth investigating. If it's in the same ballpark, basically. Yeah, it's like because very often you'll make like... I'm making up a number, but you're going to make 10 cents CPC from Amazon and you're going to make one cent from this other offer. And you're like, there's no way I'm going to 10x my conversion rate, no matter how I'm going to change that. So it's like, you're just looking like, okay, is it even worth pushing this further? And it's kind of like, it's great because it doesn't eat away your Amazon sales. You still didn't touch your comparison tables, etc. You just put this as an intent pop-up and you didn't have the opportunity to do that on your Amazon offers anyway. So you're literally just, it's just free money uh, at this point, you know? And it's a great way to essentially see are they for real or is this or like, like what am I doing here? So it's, this is literally the only reason you're doing this for, uh, you're comparing Apple to oranges, obviously, because like clicks from a comparison table compared to a click from a scarcity induced pop-up is very, very different. But still, like if you have a 10x ratio, then you know that it's still not comparable, Amazon's still better. And it's like next, try something else. And what I like as well is like, it's really little work, right? Because you can just change the offer. Let's say you say buy gardening hose, uh, whatever, uh, buy discounted gardening hose. And then you can just, let's say you have five offers that you found through like Showsell, Googling, looking at competitors, etc. You can try all of them, right? You can even like use the A-B testing functionality of the pop-ups to you know, run all of them at the same time if you want and compare the EPC of all of them and then you realize like what makes the most sense. So you do that. And then the question is, do I keep going with this or not? And you know, it's kind of a flow chart, you know? If no, trash. If yes, okay, next step. During that time when I do the pop-ups, usually at that time as well, I make sure we usually do that for our size, but if you haven't done it, that we have tracking IDs on our like top 20 pages, 20 pages in traffic uh, that are roundup reviews on the site. So 
we put a tracking ID on Amazon per page. And my goal is essentially to understand how much money I make from that page in 30 days. Like, um, again, it's not perfect, but it's, it's realistic to do that without, you know, spending your entire days building some advanced tracking or something like that. And then let's say that our program has been good. I wouldn't pick my best page because that would cost me a lot of money if it's still bad. And I would pick like my number three to five page or something like this, something that's like not make, making money, but not too much. And then I would try to replace as many links as possible from that page from Amazon to the offer that worked on the pop matching the products, et cetera, maybe rewriting if you need to change some products. Maybe if there's like expired products on Amazon, for example, it's a good occasion to swap them for something from this, et cetera. And again, I'm not complicating it. I'm just looking at revenue in the last 30 days. And instead of just looking at Amazon from this tracking ID, I usually have Amazon links left on that page. It's not like we're just swapping all the links because it's quite hard to actually swap all the products there. But maybe you get 50% Amazon, 50% the other one. And you're looking at the, the you're looking at rolling 30 days. So every week I'm gonna look last 30 day revenue. And I'm just gonna add up the revenue from that program plus Amazon versus what Amazon was making now. And after 30 days, like when you had four, a full 30 day running this hybrid version, then you essentially decide like, did I make more money or not? So like you, here you don't rely on EPC anymore. You just rely on revenue per page. And I think it's, easier to track because of tracking ideas. You don't need to make complicated calculations, etc. And then from that point, you're like, was it better or not? So for example, for the site we did on recently, the pop-up won. The pop-up made double the EPC than Amazon. But we replaced it on two pages so far and the revenue was almost zero in the table. So that can happen, right? It might work as a pop-up, but it might not work on your comparison table. So for example, so this offer is just gonna stay on pop-up. And you know, then I run pop-ups on the side and I'm just uh, testing new offers. So I found another one actually that I might test there. So I might test on the pop-up against the one we have. And then if it's at least comparable, then I'm, I will go back to the round of reviews and I will run that and do my solid day test, basically. I was just going to add that because some other affiliate programs have 30, 60, 90 day cookies. It might take some time, you, yeah. You might think that it would you would need to wait like a lot longer to do it. But I think in general, you can tell pretty quickly if it's going to be in the same ballpark because a, a big chunk of people are converting quite quite quickly. Unless Actually, for this one, it wasn't the case. For the one I'm thinking of that we did on recently, it wasn't the case. Like the first two weeks were completely flat on the pop-up and then conversions started coming in. So I imagine they have... What was the cookie length? 30? 60 days. 60 days, yeah. Okay. But waiting a month, you sort of started to get to yeah, that yeah. like... Normally, you, you, if you want the real numbers, you need to wait the entire cookie lens, basically. And then it's essentially like you get to that rolling phase where people drop off, people come in at the same time in the cookie. And then... I was saying you can generally tell much earlier yeah, yeah. Than, than that. So let's say it works, then basically then you just make a, a power ranking of like your best pages on your site. By revenue, if you already track it, by traffic, if you don't track it, Make sure you have tracking IDs, like so you track, you make sure you have 30 days of data from Amazon, basically you know what your baseline is, and then you just swap them. And the thing as well is like, some re results might be closed, right? So you might be like making 80% of your money, let's say from a hybrid page versus what Amazon used to make. And in these cases, that's when you, it's worth digging a little bit deeper. So maybe you replaced like the number two product and nobody buys it, but people really buy a lot more of the product number one and it, this one makes more money. So if it's close, then that's when you start thinking of making one tracking ID per product and start understanding on that page, especially if you have a page that generates a lot of traffic, right? So like 
we're getting into like granular detail, but if that page makes 20 bucks a month, it's really not worth doing that. Just do Amazon. It's really worth doing if that page is making quite a lot of money for you. So you end up being quite granular on your top pages and then kind of like the more, the lower it goes in value, the more I'm like, well, F it. We just focus on Amazon until it actually gets more traffic and makes money. And we can just work on this because otherwise it's unrealistic to just do that on every page, to be honest. This is also why it's much easier to heavily optimize a site when you're selling a lot of one product yeah. uh, and you have very, your site's very focused, like you have loads of roundup reviews, alternatives versus keywords like pushing the same product. If your site's very broad and you have like really diverse categories and each page only promotes one product, it's often not worth the effort to go into this level of granularity because you're making 20 bucks at most per product or whatever. Yeah, I think that's where people get lost, right? So they try to make something really complicated and then they just get lost because it's like, what's the point of optimizing a page? Even a page that makes like a hundred bucks a month. I mean, if it's going to make, you know what I mean? If it's going to make 140 by switching, is it really going to change your business? Not really. Like maybe focus, like that's when it's like, shouldn't you just create more content, you know? So I think it's like this, you get more granular as the page makes more money and you just dump it to Amazon when it doesn't make that much money anyway and you don't bother. And that's why it's like when people were like, oh, we're just going to dump Amazon and it's going to be like, I'm like, you guys don't get it. <laughs> like, it actually takes a lot of work to optimize outside of Amazon. It can make good money, right? It's like you could triple your revenue on your best pages and it could be game changing for pages that make thousands of dollars per month. But it's not something you do on every page. And if you were highly reliant on Amazon, the chances are you will still make a lot of your money from Amazon, especially the long term revenue, because it's just so easy. If you are doing this at any kind of scale as well, Amazon's ability to create tags in the sense is it's really kind of ghetto. Yes. So I remember when we reached, I think it was 100 We couldn't tags. see them. We can't see the first ones, you know, anymore in the interface because it doesn't show. Yeah, when you reach 100 tags, you have to request permission <laughs> from Amazon to get more, more than 100 tags, like explain why you need them and all that. And they give you them, but their interface is, is really different. It doesn't not make made it easy it. to <laughs> do it. And even little things, like if you want to select all of your tags in the Amazon dashboard, but just exclude one of them, it won't let you do that because it will only let you select a maximum yeah. of 10 tags time when viewing the like overarching report. Yeah, uh, you need so to just export, little, et cetera. Little things like that, it's kind of annoying. But uh, yep. you can get around it with, with exports, yeah. That's one thing as well. It's like you can create, um, once you go past the 100 tags, I think it's unlimited now. I think they've changed it, actually. I think now you, uh, it's like, well, we don't know because actually our account, we had to ask at the time. But I think now you can do unlimited tags, but they only display 100 in the interface. So you think that you're out and they delete the old ones, but they don't, they're not deleted. In the reports, they're here, but you don't see them when you look at your list of tags. That makes no sense. So, I mean, that's basically a workflow that I'd like people to look at because uh, it's realistic and you start with not cutting your revenue, which people freak out. Like they change the affiliate offer, they make 20% of the money and they're like, oh shit, switch back to Amazon and be like, I'll never do this again. This is too scary. That, that you can't sustain your, your content yeah. team or your link building team. Yeah. While, while so that's why that, I like so. the pop-up because the pop-up is like something you couldn't do with Amazon anyway. It's a great way to field test. And you know, I'd say the benchmark of a thousand clicks is, is about right. Depends on the conversion rates. Like if you're selling private jets, maybe because the conversion rate is so low, you send more clicks, you know? So it kind of depends. Do you think it matters which pop-up tech people use? Not really. I mean, you can, if you use Elementor, Elementor is great for that. And you don't need to buy another tool. With Thrive, you can do that as well. If you don't have any of these, I'm not sure to be honest. Like, I always have one of these. Usually we use Elementor Pro for this and uh, it works well. That's what I would recommend. And you, they have the countdowns, they have all of that, which is nice. Like the countdown, 
will massively increase your click-through rate. If you put it, just try to not be too analytical with it. Like if, like look at when they refresh the cells and, and have a countdown that works that way. But it works pretty well. So that's basically the tactic. Now, there's one thing that I wanted to address with, uh, with that as well, which is slightly off as well. I know a lot of people, when we talk about affiliate marketing, have that belief that Google will penalize them for having too many affiliate links on their page. And like we're talking about hybrid affiliate links and we're talking about hybrid affiliate pages rather with like multiple affiliate programs, et cetera. In our experience and the site we sold two years ago, most pages had over a hundred affiliate links on them and uh, was ranking really, really well. So I think because one thing that people tend to do as well is you can link to when you're for a product, let's say, you know, in a Product, a product table, what you can do is there's two ways to link to, to change the things. You can either put a link to Amazon and to the other offer, or you could be putting just one of those and essentially curate it. And this is something that you should maybe test as well. Maybe what you do is do first 30 days with just one of them and the second 30, the second 30 days with trying to offer both because you might find that letting people choose, yes, okay, you sell less on the other custom offer, but you might, you will sell more in general. So that, that can work quite well. But what it does is you end up with a ton of affiliate links on your page and people start freaking out. So in our experience, that hasn't been the case. I really don't think people, Google cares that much. I don't even think that they, they try to recognize affiliate links, to be honest, because they're we just like actually- We had one site and man, there was literally like a hundred affiliate links on each page because we were doing like top 10 lists for each kind of subcategory. Yeah, so that's like the one I'm talking ones about. Yeah. Ones of those. There was hundreds of affiliates. And it, it did really well. So that, I mean, it's anecdotal, but it didn't really seem to have any negative no, it wasn't uh, a problem con consequences. One thing here that uh, anyone who reads the Amazon Terms of Service might want to pay attention to is that there's some really, really ambiguous statements. Of other images. About, yeah, using Amazon images when you're promoting other products as well. So letter of the law it does seem as if if you have like a product table with another product with a, an, an amazon image plus an amazon link and then another affiliate yeah. link from another program that may not be okay i've yet to see that cause any issues and like the the language of it is really really kind of ambiguous so i think deliberately so so just sort of bear that in mind as can as you well. use a third-party image to link to amazon I think so, right? I'm not sure. Yeah, they don't well, really I mean, mention you must, it. You must be able to, because like you can create your own own images, exactly. right? Exactly. I think so it's what, more that's like what you the, do. The, I think it's more the image owner maybe concerned yeah. about about it. Like if it's another affiliate program, that might be against their terms. Although most other affiliate programs don't have nearly such strict uh, terms yeah. as, as Amazon. Yeah. So that's like that's what I would probably recommend doing. It's like just uh, using third-party images or using the constructors images that's something i've been doing as well so like like the brand i go on the brand site and get the images there but like we need to recheck on that to be honest another thing i want to say to talk about is uh, display ads so that's another way to diversify and i'll do it quickly i think uh, we should even do another episode on display ads at some point basically display ads it's very simple these days because you just use these networks that do everything for you the three main ones would be ezoic media vinyl thrive that's really the three ones that everyone uses and the thing is, even on affiliate sites, they do increase your revenue quite a bit. Ad rates tanked a lot during the COVID thing, but it's, it's recovered nicely as well. So it's, um, it's, it's not exactly where it was, but it's definitely going back up now. It's like several people have tested that and we've experienced the same that even putting ads on affiliate sites doesn't seem to affect conversion rate too much. Now, 
you still have to be a little bit wary of user experience when you have a ton of ads, you have a pop-up, you have product product table, etc. Like it's easy to overwhelm people. So like you need to do it in a tasteful way. And sometimes like maximizing revenue in the short term will cost you in the long term. So be careful with that. Yeah, be a bit careful with that. Don't have a massive pop-up plus a ton of ads, plus very obnoxious product tables, plus all of that, all at once, all at the same place. So for example, that's when you don't put, you know, for example, pop-ups on page load tend to convert better, like quite a lot. But like if you have ads and all that stuff already, then I would probably put it on exit intent, for example. So like when people's mouse is moving out of the browser and then on mobile, because there is no mouse, you put it on a timer, maybe like 20 seconds, something like this. It's Yeah, it's going to make less money, but that's how you kind of like balance the user experience or something. So uh, be a little bit careful, but yeah, ads work pretty well uh, with that as well. So that's basically it for me, really. Like that was the plan I wanted to show to people on like a realistic plan to switch away from Amazon if you want to, and then you realize you still want to use some Amazon, but you can at least diversify and quite often increase your revenue as well. One question. So if someone out there is realizing that they have a, a very sort of uh, broad website and they're not really focused on any one product enough to, to kind of like do this, what do you recommend? Should they just try and like focus their new content on one category yeah. more or is there a strategy yeah. here? If you have a broad website, you have categories that are specific, you know, so you're essentially writing multiple sites in one. So you just do it on a category level instead of doing it uh, on a broad level. So let's say you have a living outside website with like uh, camping and gardening and playing with your dog and all of that in one site. Then essentially each one will have these specific affiliate programs, etc. So it's way more work. It's like you're running 10 sites in one, really. That's it. So it's That's kind of a good job. way to think about it, though. Like if you actually treat a category as if it was kind of its own website, just with the same branding and, and like, you know, push yeah. content from that perspective. Yeah, it's just, uh, to be honest, it's not the best way of doing these things these days. If you look at the guys from like dot dash about.com, et cetera, they're actually doing the opposite. They're just breaking up their sites in more and more specific websites and it's doing really, really well for them in search. So if I had a choice today, I would probably specialize. There's this thing as specializing too much as well. So it's a, it's a balancing act here. But yeah, I tend to prefer sites that are quite specialized these days over sites that are very general, uh, which is why, you know, some sites that we've built in the past, I would definitely not rebuild today, for example. We've definitely been going towards specializing our sites more. You know, you can go too far in the other direction. If you're registering yeah. <laughs> bestlefthandedmouse.com or something, that's that's probably maybe a bit too specialized. But well, actually, I think that one is not that terrible. But <laughs> it's like I think I think there's worse ones. But yeah, it's a uh, you get the idea. Like, but like a site about just peripherals and not all just computers, for example, I wouldn't mind. I think it's a like you could make quite well quite good money from this, and the specialization makes it that you don't need as much authority, etc., to rank. And also it makes monetization a little bit easier when you're more focused because then you can focus on less affiliate programs. And as you see, it's quite a lot of work to make these other programs work. So the less you have to deal with, the better it is. So that's basically it. I think we're going to wrap it up. And if you guys enjoy these like more practical, just I call them just fucking do these podcasts. If you guys enjoy that, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and let us know in the comment below section on YouTube if you want more of that type of format or if you'd rather have something else. And uh, drop us a thumb up as well. It really helps us rank higher and just reach more people with the podcast. By the way, if you uh, if you want to ask us a question about any of this, if you do leave a comment on YouTube in the first five days that this is up, we'll definitely answer it. So yeah. if you want to ask us a question, go over to YouTube, leave us a comment there.
Okay, and also we're on the audio podcast, obviously. So if you guys want to subscribe on any audio podcast because you want to listen to this on the go or something, then you can also do that and get the same content. So thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week for another episode.